Let's uh, pray before we open up God's word. Father, we pray, God, for your spirit to speak to us this morning. God, I thank you for your uh, deep and intense love for each person in this room. God, I thank you that you are calling each person in this room into a deeper walk with you. And so, God, I pray that you would um, soften our minds and our hearts and our spirits, God, to hear what you want to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, many of us uh, gathered here on uh, Friday to focus in on the crucifixion of Jesus. We had a Good Friday service here. Looked at uh, the suffering of Christ on uh, the Friday before Easter, Easter Sunday. This uh, Christ who did miracles and healed people and uh, raised the dead and lifted the head of those who were downcast and gave grace to those who needed grace. Uh, the Christ who did so many amazing and wonderful things uh, was crucified. And for the people in the original story, of course, in the scripture and in that day, uh, they had no idea that Easter was coming. Uh, they didn't know about the resurrection. And we, when we think about the crucifixion, we uh, know the resurrection happens on Sunday. We know he ha has risen from the grave. But when these folks saw the crucified Christ, uh, they didn't understand that he was going to be uh, brought back to life. It was a very dark and depressing and discouraging time for all of them. Uh, many of their hopes had been dashed. Many of their dreams had been, been crushed. And maybe today uh, you feel like that. Maybe today you feel that some of your dreams ha have not worked out the way you hope, that you're discouraged today or down. Uh, perhaps the person who illustrates that the best is Peter. Uh, Peter uh, was living his dream with, with Jesus. I mean, he was a disciple of the, of the Messiah. Uh, he thought Jesus perhaps was going to come in and set up an earthly kingdom or, or something. He, he just knew that he was a disciple of this guy who could raise the dead and heal the sick and, and was, was a powerful speaker. And the power of Jesus was even at work in Peter. Peter uh, healed people. Peter uh, delivered demons from people. Peter was the guy who walked on water. And all the other disciples were in the boat. I mean, he had these amazing experiences. Uh, Peter was one with two other disciples who got to go to the top of a mountain and see Je Jesus transfigured as he, he uh, lit up like a light bulb and, and this miracle happened. Uh, Peter was the one who, when Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? That Peter said, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. But then that night when uh, Jesus was betrayed, things began to change. Uh, Jesus said this to the disciples. This very night, you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go uh, ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And then, and then Peter declares, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. I mean, why would he ever? I mean, he understands Jesus is the Messiah, and he's the Son of God, and he heals, and he's risen the dead. Of course, I would die for you. I mean, he's pumped. You've never just been pumped about life, and you're so happy, and everything's going well, and you're super excited. Well, then we know the story. Of course, Jesus 
is arrested in the garden and Peter tries to stick up for Jesus by cutting off the ear of one of the people who came to arrest him. And of course Jesus heals the ear and, and then Peter begins to freak out. He sees that Jesus is going to be arrested and he, he deserts Jesus along with all the other disciples. And he kind of follows the crowd behind as Jesus is taken to trial. And then as Peter is sitting outside the, the courtyard of where this trial is taking place, uh, Peter really uh, falls to a low. Uh, in Matthew 26, it says, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. And this is a little servant girl. This is not like a soldier or an army officer. This is a little servant girl. And it says that he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about. And then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. And after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. You, your accent gives you away. And then he began to call down curses. And he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered Jesus, uh, the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. I mean, this everything in his mind that was supposed to happen didn't happen. I mean, he made this promise, I would never deny you, and, and he does. I mean, he thought he was the, the disciple of the Messiah, and Jesus is being arrested, and eventually he is crucified. And, and from what we read in the Gospels, Peter never even showed up at the crucifixion. He was so discouraged, so down, so depleted, so just... Uh, you know, beating himself up, weeping bitterly that he doesn't even go to the crucifixion. And maybe some of you today feel like Peter. You feel uh, discouraged. Again, maybe like Peter, you had these hopes of the way life should turn out and they've, they've been dashed. Uh, maybe you have uh, hurt somebody. I mean, Peter made these promises to Jesus, I will never deny you, and yet... Peter goes totally against his word and denies Jesus. And in the other text, it said that Jesus actually looked at Peter while he was denying him. He really disappointed someone. Maybe you have disappointed someone. Now, maybe there's some promises you have made to someone and, and you've broken those promises. And maybe today you are even maybe angry at God for some reason. And I'm sure Peter was pretty frustrated with God. I mean, God, this is not how it's supposed to turn out. I mean, it's not supposed to turn out, Jesus is not supposed to be crucified. And maybe today you find yourself angry at God. Because maybe the way your life has gone is not the way you hope God would take it or whatever it might be. But, you, but you're down in the pit. And this is where the good news of the resurrected Christ comes in. Uh, because this resurrected Jesus was good news for Peter. Uh, when Jesus was crucified, he was in the grave Sunday morning. He, he rises from the dead. And the women go to the tomb, and in Mark 16, it says, As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. They didn't see Jesus, but they see this angel. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter. All the disciples would have been discouraged somewhat, but Peter especially 
was broken. Peter especially was, was crushed because he had denied Jesus. His hopes had been dashed. And here we see that the angel says, go tell his disciples and specifically mentions Peter. He didn't say all the disciples' name. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Because the resurrection is for everybody, yes. But the resurrection is especially for those who are down, who are discouraged, who are bitter, who have had lives that have gone the wrong way than they have hoped. The resurrection is especially for those kinds of people. And if you're discouraged today like Peter, and if you've blown it like Peter, and you're disappointed in yourself and God and others, then all you got to do is stick your name in there. Because the angel says, go tell the disciples and... Just insert your name in there. Because the gospel message, it is for you. In fact, God specializes. And this is the way the enemy twists the gospel and twists uh, the idea of God's love. There's this idea out there that if, if you really blow it, if you really mess up, that if you're really horrible and you're angry at God, then God is really angry with you and he doesn't want anything to do with you. That's a lie of the enemy. Uh, when you're down and discouraged, God is especially calling you. He is wanting you to come near. In fact, there are texts that talk about how God specializes in the brokenhearted. Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Uh, Jesus came not for healthy, but for uh, sinners, Mark 2. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. The gospel message is for the disciples, but especially for Peter, especially for you and for me. Uh, there's a whole story that illustrates God's love, his, his calling, his desire that if you are broken and discouraged and down and you've messed up, that he, he is reaching out and he is loving you. It is the story, a famous story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. Uh, Jesus tells the story, and this story is a picture of the prodigal son, who is a picture of you and I. And the father in this picture is a picture of the God of this universe. And is speaking of his character. Uh, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. And so this one son asked for his, his inheritance, which was in a way, the son was saying to the father, I want you dead. Because in those days, you didn't give out your inheritance till to your rate at your deathbed or that you had died. And to ask for it early was saying, really, I don't want anything to do with you. I want it now. Uh, I, I would like that you are dead. Uh, but the father, in his grace, divides the uh, property, gives some to him. And not long after that, the younger son got together... Uh, uh, not long after that, the younger son got to, together all he had, sent off for a, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth on wild living. And so he takes all the, this blessing this father gave, and he didn't use it to love people. He didn't use it to, to bless the kingdom. He uses it selfishly. And sometimes we take the blessings of God, and we do not use those to love other people and to be generous and loving. We just use them for self. Uh, and this is what this, this, this son does. And there he squandered all his wealth on wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. 
He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And so, again, this is, uh, if you understood Jewish culture back in those days, I mean, first he asks that his father, in an essence, I hope you die so I can get your stuff. And then he goes and spends all the father's blessings on selfish things. And then he gets a job working with pigs, which in those days was, was an unclean animal. Uh, and to work with an unclean animal was, was one of those very disgraceful jobs in those days. It's like the last job you would ever hope anyone would ever have is to work with pigs. And he's working with pigs. In fact, he's longing just to have the food that the pigs are eating. And then it says this, when he came to his census, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to, to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And so he thinks, man, this is horrible. At least maybe, just maybe my father will accept me back as a slave. Maybe I can live out in the slave hut and maybe just get some better food. But my father would never accept me back as a son. And this is what the enemy would have you believe about God. That when you have messed up and you have used all the blessings of God on selfish things, just on yourself, you haven't been loving people, but you've been hurting people. You've been maybe doing things that are disgraceful in the Father's eyes. That the lie of the enemy is that God doesn't want you anymore. That you're just trash and, and you're just... God would never want you, want you because he is holy and wonderful and beautiful and you're not. And so how dare you ever come to church because you shouldn't come to church because the roof is going to fall in or you're going to hit by lightning or something. I mean, it's kind of a lie of the enemy. But that's not the truth of the gospel. That's not the truth of Jesus Christ. The story goes on to illustrate the love of the father. And so the, the son is walking home hoping to be maybe just a, a slave out in the barn. But it says this. While he was still a long way off, if you picture the, the father's house and this long road and the son walking up the road, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And then the whole story goes on. He, he has this big feast this, and all the choicest food and, and gives him his ring and all these, this, this wonderful party. And this is the illustration of the character of God our father. And this is especially uh, kind of a wild story because in back, back in those days, a father would never do that. Fathers were the, the patriarchal person of the home and they were dignified and they would never run. Everybody else had to run to them. They would never, you know, gird up their loins, as the old Bible says, and, and run. They would never do that. They were the way respected. And here this father does something that's, in, in, in culturally speaking, was kind of disrespectful and odd and, and lavish. He runs to his son and hugs him. And this is how much God wants to be in relationship with you. This is how much God loves you even at your worst moment in your life. No matter where you are and what you've been through, God is running towards you, wanting to hold you, wanting to kiss you, wanting to have a party for you. In fact, uh, the Bible says that when one sinner repents, there's more rejoicing in heaven than all the other people who are already saved. I mean, God loves, loves you no matter where you are at and that's the good news of the resurrection we see that the, uh, Jesus uh, while he was on earth made some pretty amazing promises and John 8 it says if the son sets you free you will be free indeed 
Uh, Mark 2, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. John 14, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. Uh, John 6, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never go hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. And John 10, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And all of these things, no matter who you are, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, these are things that all of us want, that every human being really wants. Uh, we want to be free. Uh, we all long for just this tremendous freedom. Not just to be free, but free indeed. We long to be forgiven. Because all of us, including myself, we've messed up many times. And we want to have our guilt and our shame washed away. We want to live in this place where we just know we are forgiven. Uh, we want to know truth and we want to have life. I mean, we're living in a world where it's hard to figure out what's true anymore because there's opinions about everything. I mean, sometimes we just want to know something we can actually hold on to and, and derive life from. Uh, we want something in life that always satisfies. We can run here and there trying to find something that will satisfy, but Jesus said, I will satisfy you. And we want eternal life because we know that this life is short and we know there's more to life than just this life. We want these things. And Jesus promised all these things, but then uh, on Friday we see that Jesus is crucified. He dies on the cross. And so the question for Peter and these people were, like, how, how do we know if this is actually true? Because he's dead. I mean, because I could go around, I could say all these same things. And I could die, and you'd probably say, well, it's not true, because he's dead. This is why the resurrection is so important. Because the resurrection of Christ... It is his vindication. It is God's approval. It is God saying, this is true. This is Jesus saying, this is true. This really can be ours. This is not some fluffy fairy tale. This is not some hopes out in la-la land. This is not some sort of dream. This is not just, these things can be ours. And those who walk deeply in Christ experience this. And the deeper we go in Jesus, the more we experience this freedom, the more we understand his forgiveness, and the more our shame is washed away, the more we understand that we can have life from Jesus. We don't need to go get it from other people and try to get it from our situations and get it from trying to impress people. We can get it from Jesus, who has got more life than we ever need. We know he satisfies, and he gives eternal life. This is why the resurrection is important. That we know he rose from the grave and he changes lives. And he changed Peter's life. In fact, we see uh, before the resurrection of Christ, uh, Peter denies Jesus because of a little servant girl. And then the resurrection happens. The angel says, go tell the disciples, and especially Peter. And he sees the risen Lord. And he experiences the risen Christ. And he is radically transformed. And this is what happens when you experience the risen and resurrected Christ in your life. You begin to be transformed. And he is transformed. I mean, he is transformed into this incredibly courageous person. And Acts 4 illustrates this. The religious leaders, those who are against Jesus, those religious leaders, were greatly disturbed because the apostles, that's Peter and the other guys, were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put uh, them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. 
they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter doesn't deny Jesus, doesn't shrink back like he did. He was no longer this courageous, cowardly person, but he is filled with the power of God, filled with the resurrected Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit. He goes on and says this amazing little thing to them. And then it goes on, it says, uh, they called them in again and commanded them, this is Peter, uh, commanded Peter, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And Peter does not shrink back. He does not say, oh, I'm going to deny Jesus. He is filled with this power. His life is completely changed. Here's what Peter and John say. Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot speak, uh, help speak about what we have seen and heard and after further threats, they let them go, and they continued to proclaim the resurrection with power and, and see lives transformed. Peter was radically changed. And this is what happens when you open your, your life up to the power of the resurrected Jesus. You just begin to change. And it's one of my favorite things to see as a pastor how the gospel uh, changes lives, how it's changed my life, and how when people begin to open themselves up to Jesus, this Freedom and forgiveness and satisfaction and source of life begins to change people. Uh, Peter himself uh, later would actually be crucified in his belief of Jesus. He was so transformed. He knew this was so true that he had been so radically blessed by the risen Christ. When they said, deny Jesus or be crucified, he says, I cannot deny Jesus He's changed me, and he is risen. And they actually crucified him. Uh, right before he was crucified, his wife was crucified. And as they were crucifying his wife, he called out, Remember Christ. Remember Christ. And then they took him and crucified him. Uh, and tradition says that he asked to be crucified upside down in humility because he said he didn't be, deserve to be crucified in the same way as, as Jesus. And that is why in some places you will see the upside-down cross. I know some people try to use this as a satanic symbol, but originally, and still today in the church, it's a symbol of humility. It's a symbol of Jesus, or uh, Peter, being crucified upside-down in humility to Jesus. This is what uh, the upside-down cross actually is. Uh, before his death, uh, Peter wrote this. He wrote a book in the Bible. First and Second Peter, you can read it. He says this, In his great mercy... He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what Peter calls it, a living hope. It's not a dead hope. It's not a hope that, that might rise up for a moment and then fade away like so many things in this life. Like when you go buy something new, it's like you have this hope in this thing and you're excited and then it fades away. You need something else or, you know, like a, an amazing burger or pizza or a potluck we're going to have. is going to make us really excited, the chocolate fountain, and we're going to eat those chocolate dipped Twinkies and it's going to be really exciting and then then our hope is going to fade away uh, the gospel message is a living hope it never dies it's this hope that keeps bubbling and stirring and even though we have really crappy days at time at least I do uh, there's, there's this hope still at work even when things are going horrible it's because this Christ is not dead he is resurrected and he is alive and he is here today in fact if you are here today and you have opened your heart to Jesus. He's not just here, but the Bible actually says that he, he is in us. This is, this is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. He says, do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? 
Because Jesus being God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at once. He is in heaven, yes, but, but he is here and he is in our hearts. And I tell you, when you have a resurrected Jesus who rose people from the dead and healed people and did miracles and owns this universe, if you have him inside, you don't remain the same. I mean, when I woke up this morning, I was hungry. I had four eggs and beans, so you know. Uh, <laughs> may not want to get too close to me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> four eggs and beans, and you know what? After I ate those things, I was changed. Because I was, my belly was satisfied. I was getting hungry again. But it was satisfied just because of something I ate. When you open your mouth to Jesus, you eat him. He, he moves inside and he changes you. He's this living hope that is always around. He's this power that is always with you wherever you are. And, and whatever you're going through, and whether you're up or down, Jesus is in you. The greater is he that is in you than is in the world, uh, John said in the scriptures. And this is why it is so good to open yourself to Jesus. Because he changes you. Uh, Paul put it this way. And this is his prayer, even for those of us who believe in Jesus. Because even those of us who believe in Jesus, we often fail to realize the power of the resurrected Christ in us. He says this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. And obviously that was a lot of power to raise Jesus uh, from the dead. And to seat him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. But notice, this power is not just in heaven. Notice what it says. This power is for us who believe. God's power is for us. And the reason it's for us is because God is love. And love is always other-centered. God is the most other-centered being in this universe because he is love. And because he loves us, his power is for us. Not so that we can continue a life in sin, so that we might continue and move into a life of love and freedom and joy and power in the Holy Spirit. And don't you want power? I want power. It is available through Jesus. Uh, Psalm 81.10 says this. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. You know, I was hungry this morning again. I had my eggs and beans on my plate. But you know, if I never opened my mouth, I'd still be hungry. And this is what happens with the gospel of Jesus a lot of times. You know, people are like, man, I'm so filled with shame. I'm so broken. I'm so discouraged. I'm so powerless. Uh, I just can't get over the shame. I, I, I'm such a mess up. I've screwed up and I've hurt people. It's like, ugh. There is a platter with Jesus on it. And he can change your life. He can take your sin and forgive it. doesn't matter how dark or horrible the things you've done in your life or what kind of shame you're under, he can lift that shame and forgive you and bring you freedom and bring you power for those areas. But you have to open your mouth. And this is a message for those of us who follow Jesus too because sometimes even as followers of Jesus, we have only opened up a little bit. Instead of having the four egg deal, we have one egg. In fact, we're to be seven egg people because we're to 
you know, consume Jesus and open our mouth to his grace and forgiveness every single day and every single hour. And the more you open yourself up to Jesus, the more power you experience. The more you open up to him, the more grace and freedom and life. And all of a sudden, the more you open yourself up to Jesus, the more the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all those things we really need to live an effective life begin to flow. It's found in Jesus. And so I just encourage you today, if you've never opened up your heart to Jesus, open wide your mouth and invite him into your life. And if you are here and you're a follower of Jesus and you just seem to be a little bit empty of power, a little bit empty uh, of, uh, of, uh, of joy or whatever it might be, the same goes to you. Open wide your mouth and he will fill it. The more time we spend in his presence, the more we are filled. And, uh, and this is the call today. And if you've never received Jesus, uh, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it's a matter of turning from your own ways and turning to Jesus and just following him. And they may start small, you may not know anything about Jesus, but you just get to know him and open your, the more you open yourself up to him, the more you begin to experience Jesus. And this message is for everybody. It doesn't matter how dark or horrible or uh, how many times you've messed up or how many people you've disappointed in your life, the gospel message is for you. Uh, go tell the disciples and especially tell Peter. And if you're here today as a disciple, then you need to hear it. And if you're a Peter here today, you especially need to hear it. We're going to finish with a video clip here as we uh, get ready for our last song. I've been running for a long, long time. Broken, disgusting, filthy, unworthy. Here is where my identity lies. So I've been running for a long, long time. Trying to keep myself together. Trying to keep my head above water. Trying to leave who I was behind. But I'll be honest, I'm exhausted. I've been running my whole life. Hoping that God doesn't catch me. Hoping that God doesn't snatch me. What would God say if he saw me? And then I read a story in the Bible of a woman whose life sounds a lot like like mine. Her name was Gomer and she was a prostitute. She was so used to her lifestyle that after a while she had nothing left to lose. She was a whore giving her body away door to door and nobody wanted her. She was running for a long, long time. The pavement was used to her. And then God said to a man named Hosea, go and marry her. Don't wait till she's perfect. Take her as she is and love on her. And as you pursue her, I hope you see a picture of what it's like for me to love people, people just like her. And when she runs from you, still chase after her. When she abandons you, still run after her. When she goes back to the life you saved her from, go into the whorehouses and reclaim her. Pay whatever price you have to have her. Though she'll think she's not worth that kind of love, never give up on her. And when Gomer did all of those things, still Hosea loved her. For no matter what she did, he was crazy, madly obsessed with her. And I can't help but think that I was once a lot like Gomer. I remember 
drowning in my sin being used by strange men falling shamefully onto the ground i remember staring into a mirror crying because i saw no way out i remember half living the substances my body was inhaling just so i could forget how disgusting i was i remember knowing i would never deserve that kind of love feeling like gomer swallowed chewed up and spit right out and I know there are others who know exactly what I'm talking about. We've been running for a long, long time. Broken, disgusting, filthy, unworthy. We have listened to all of these lies, trying to keep ourselves together, trying to keep our heads above water. We are all a little like Gomer, unable to leave who we were behind. But even through this, God has noticed, and he says, I've been chasing you your whole life, hoping that I could catch you, hoping that I could grasp you, just so I could stop you to tell you I love you. Stop running. You are mine. Just as Hosea loved Gomer, I pursue you like a jealous lover. And when you run from me, still I'll chase after you. When you abandon me, still I'll run after you. When you go back to the life I saved you from, I will go into the whorehouses and reclaim you. I paid the price. I have to have you. Though you think you're not worth that kind of love, I will never give up on you. I am crazy, madly obsessed with you. And as we hear God say this, how could we accept this? How could he love this? A whore, a slut, a liar, a pimp, a thief, a murderer, an addict, an alcoholic, a cheater. Has he seen where we've been? How could he love us now? And God says, I loved you then. I loved you while. I loved you while you were half living and giving yourself to others who did not deserve you. I loved you while you were lying and living a two-faced life to those around you. I loved you while you were an addict, a thief, a whore. And still when you run, I will pursue you all the more because I just love to pursue you. You're who I sent my son Jesus to die for. Aren't you tired of running? Isn't your back sore from the guilt you've been carrying? Aren't chains? exhausting come to me and i'll break your chains come to me rest those legs there is no room left for your guilt when i filled your life to the top with grace my love is so good you can't define it it covers your past so you can't rewind it and play back the scenes i've already wiped clean you've been set free your debt it's gone i love you right now and I've loved you all along. So yes, God, I'm tired of running. Yes, God, I'm tired of fighting. And I don't know how you could possibly still want someone like me. But since you do, I give up my running shoes. After all this time of being pursued, I say, yes, God, please capture me.